fiber in place. Welcome to this edition of Still in the Race. challenge. Looking back over my first two attempts, it's clear that I have a couple of problems. First, my schedule has already fallen apart. I started this project with the conviction that I would gather my experiences every two weeks and assemble them into a podcast and a blog. One year, 26 entries. The flaw is that I don't work in straight lines. My writing is more akin to a pile of scraps that occasionally gel into something coherent. At times they come together slowly, at others they lead to ideas that take a life faster than I can capture them, and then there are the times that they remain nothing more than scraps. The goal remains something resembling 26 entries over a year, but if I don't want them to feel forced and sterile, I'm going to have to let them breathe and come at their own pace. The second challenge revolves around my effort to specifically inspire those of my generation to keep involved in life even after society dictates moving to the sidelines. Like the rigid timeline, much of what I offered up felt forced and jammed into the content. Similar to the timeline, my objectives remained, but I'm still searching for the best way to get my thoughts and observations across. I'm not sure where that leaves me, but much like my scraps, we'll just have to see where they go which feels a lot more comfortable to me. It's a peculiar combination when you find yourself sitting on an ice pack while a space heater is running full volume at your feet. I realize that ice is the answer to sore muscles. My wife has been preaching that for decades. But as I have already emphasized, I hate the cold, even when it's in my best interest. I've always believed that when you find yourself in a situation that you don't like, the starting point is asking yourself, what did I do to create this reality? It can be hard to admit, but the most common contributor to our problems is generally ourselves, which is why I knew that sitting on an ice pack with a space heater running directly below me was directly related to a decision that I had made months earlier. Life is an adventure. All of my children have had to put up with my constant paraphrasing of Helen Keller that life is an adventure or it is nothing at all. There isn't an expiration date as we age. All of life should be an adventure. It's the way that we keep growing and learning. Our adventures might be small, but we've never given up searching for what's next as a family, which is why the latest trial started with an unreasonable challenge. Several months ago, my daughter floated the idea of running a virtual half marathon together. Many things that are months into our future seem obtainable because time tends to blur our vision and make us believe that we are more capable than we actually are. Of course, I could build up enough base miles so that I could survive the day. I was running five to eight miles per outing, and was in one of those rare moments where nothing hurt. I enthusiastically signed up. Then came the hip injury and the hamstring pull, and I watched my miles tumble. My hamstring was a particular concern, because of my experience years ago when I was forced to shut down completely for months in fear that my running career was over. 
it would eventually heal, but that painfully slow recovery was etched in my memory. This time, I was frustrated with myself because I strained it while doing a speed workout, which is as ridiculous as it sounds. I have only had one speed for many years, and at this point, speed has no place in my runs. Still, a small part of me feels better when I pretend that those days aren't gone forever. I can still do much of what I could in past years, but that doesn't mean that I don't realize that muscling my way through a half marathon without proper training carried with it a lot of injury risk. I hadn't made it beyond the five-mile mark in over two months, which meant that I would be spending more than an hour asking more of my body than was reasonable. Even with all this, there was no way that I wasn't going to take on the challenge when the morning finally rolled around. Our daughter has been a wandering soul throughout much of her adulthood, and it has taken her places far away from us. During college, she spent five summers in the White Mountains of New Hampshire working at Camp Walt Whitman. We wouldn't hear from her for weeks at a time, and when she was in cell phone range, there were often brief conversations where she filled us in as quickly as possible before disappearing back into the mountains. Her love for the East Coast would take her to the University of Vermont for her graduate school, where upon completion, she would throw us yet another curve and cross the country to live in Seattle. She would eventually settle in Australia, but only after spending the summer on a Russian nuclear-powered icebreaker that would take her to the North Pole. So when she finally settled down under, her mother and I missed her, but there was also a sense of relief that she was in a first-world country. Her brothers were cut from a similar cloth. The oldest would finish college and move to Orlando for an internship at Disney World. Next up was Chicago, where after a couple of years, he would pick up and head to graduate school at Notre Dame. Next up was Houston, where we should have picked a better neighborhood, and then to Washington, D.C., where his professional life would take him around the world. These days, he has set down some roots and started a family in Buffalo. The youngest is still on the move. He started early, spending a summer in Boston at the Berklee College of Music, which had the unintended side effect of creating complete disinterest in his senior year of high school. College started in Colorado and finished in Massachusetts. Somewhere along the line, he joined his sister in the White Mountains for a summer. After finishing college, he would eventually find himself in Brooklyn, was followed by returning to Western Massachusetts for graduate school. Next up was Boston, then a year in Grand Rapids before returning to Brooklyn, which feels more like a stopping point than a destination at this point. Our daughter's idea was a virtual half marathon that we could experience together even if we couldn't be together. As a family that is spread across the globe, we have to work at finding opportunities to keep connected, and this checked all the boxes. It was our version of doing something together even though we were half a world away. It was an adventure. There was a chance that it could go very poorly. We were all in. From the start, I was determined to make it more than just a typical run, and I set out to try and capture as much of it as possible. When I run, my eyes are always on the path ahead, looking for the next hole or tree root or jagged edge of concrete. I set off making a loop around Reeds Lake before picking my way across the city's western side. On the lake's backside, there are a series of boardwalks that separate the road from the adjacent swampland. Although there is nothing particularly unique about them, I like the woods feel under my feet, and it offers a welcome break from the asphalt and cement where I usually find myself. It was all part of the run, looking for what's next. I stopped and took a picture. I have never been much of a fan of decorating 
yards with fake animals. It's just not part of my sensibility, which is why I took a picture of some deer that are a permanent part of a front yard that I've passed many times. The only way to make it worse? Throw a wreath with a red bow around their neck and call it a Christmas decoration. Because nothing says the holidays quite like a decorated plastic deer in the middle of a city. My next couple of picture stops captured this uniquely tragic moment in our history. Unintentionally, they say more about us as a society than their original intention. Why do we need signs to proclaim that we believe in science? How did not believing in science become so prevalent that the distinction needed to be declared by a yard sign? How did we allow this to become a political statement? I don't know if the next sign was national or just regional because of our governor. Wear a damn mask. Somehow, protecting our neighbors and family became a sign of weakness, but only if you vote a certain way. For me, it feels analogous to driving the wrong way down a one-way street because no one has the right to tell you how to drive. What did we do to create this reality? A few miles later, I had to stop and take a picture because something surprised me. I've passed that point dozens of times over the past few years and never took the time to cross the road for a better look. It's a beautiful old bridge from a different era that has managed to survive all the urban renewal all around us. It's probably not to code. It's unlikely to survive long. Still, I hope that it remains for the next generation to enjoy. My next sign was intentional. It's a landmark and one of my favorites in the city. When I set out, I didn't know what path I would follow, but I knew that I would find my place in that space. It wasn't just worth stopping for. It also marked a spot where everyone in my family would know precisely where I was. Howie's Hockey Tape. My next stop was a picture that hopefully will soon find its way into our history books under the titles, Do You Remember When?, how could this happen? Or never again? It was an entry spot to a COVID testing area. I took the final picture about two miles from completing my run, and it felt like a great way to end the journey. I have no idea what inspired the owners to create this unique house, but it stood out from all the others, and it was impossible for me to look at it and not smile. Even better, since my run, they have continued painting all sides of the house so that you can't escape its message, whatever that might be. I'm not sure if the design is flowers or just some random design, but in a nondescript part of the city, the yellow and red and white on the gray exterior makes it jump off of the street. I took a moment to text my pictures around the globe. I hit the wall at the 10-mile mark and locked into a survival pace for the last three. Fortunately, much of the last mile and a half would be down a gradual slope, and I was able to convince myself that if I could just reach that point, the hard part would be over and I could cruise home. The rain was slowly gathering intensity, and with the end in view, my focus turned toward finishing without an injury that would follow me for the weeks ahead. In the end, all of my body parts held up, although the following morning my hamstring was screaming at me, which explains why I need to sit on an ice pack, which made me cold, which led to the space heater. The good part was that my co-workers understand enough about me to realize it was just another Monday morning. Still, it took me back to an essay that I wrote a couple years ago after looking a little more closely at those standing around me at the starting line of a race. I was so struck by what I saw and how I felt 
that had rushed home to capture the moment. Crazy runners. I'm well aware that many of my co-workers, friends, and family find my running life a bit crazy. My youngest son has assured me that his wife also finds me a bit odd, which makes me feel both uncomfortable and relieved. I can't bear the thought of being normal. My wife of 35 years has first-time knowledge that, despite how I appear to those on the outside, I can be moody and difficult and frequently need the silence of a run to slow my brain down and think my way through life, all of which is why racing has become increasingly important to me. Standing at the starting line and scoping out those of a similar age is the one place that I can gain some perspective. Many have a look in their eyes that appears a bit unsettling, and aside from the small nod of acknowledgement that we might exchange, I make a conscious effort to steer clear of them at the finish line to avoid any awkward conversations. As a whole, they are my compatriots, but as individuals, I fear that running is crazy, and that an in-depth discussion might reveal far too much about myself. At least in my mind, these observations help me to be more comfortable with my place in the world. Even when I am about to take on a course that I know is ill-advised, it's always reassuring to look around and realize that there are people crazier than me. That might not be the most rational way to measure my life choices, but I have been able to convince myself otherwise. As long as I can look around and find someone in the crowd that looks more disjointed than me, I know that I'm good for one more race. In the end, I don't mind if people, even my friends, look at me as obsessive or even a bit crazy. I just don't want to be the craziest. Break. Edit. It's 43 degrees. There's a thick fog over the city. The rain is coming down in sheets and showing no signs of letting up. It's been three days since my virtual half marathon, and I need to get back out onto the roads. Still, as I look outside, I know that I have to give common sense its due. That doesn't change the fact that tomorrow is Thanksgiving, and even though it'll just be the two of us, I feel like my wife shouldn't have to plan around my running schedule. I need to get it in today. I log onto our condo's website and look for open times in the gym. I haven't worked out inside since March, but with only four residents allowed in the gym at a time, I'm not overly concerned about the virus. It's more the dreaded treadmill and wearing a mask while I run, which I haven't had to do yet. It feels like a small sacrifice considering that my son has been running around New York City for months with a mask. Besides, I have Dan Carlin queued up, so I will be in good company. I signed up for a one-hour block. Edit. Break. It's 9.30 p.m. on Friday following Thanksgiving. I am in pain, which makes no sense. All that I can wrap my mind around is that I'm still recovering from the half marathon I ran five days ago. My first attempt at the treadmill was frustrating because I knew it was my best interest to cut it short. I struggled to maintain any reasonable pace. This morning, the weather cooperated, and I'm back on the streets. But even before I set out, I was aware that everything was sore unnaturally sore. Once out in the city, I felt better, but my body refused to allow me to move at a good pace. The running app in my ear kept reminding me that I was moving slowly, as if it was taunting me. Despite my frustration, I simply could not make my body move any faster. Now, tonight, everything hurts. I can only conclude that I've asked too much from my body over the past week. Regardless, there's a good feeling. It's a week in the books, and I was able to take on a new adventure. Edit. Break. Thanks for stopping by this edition of Still in the Race. 
If you would rather read than listen, you can find me at stillintherace.com. Production and editing, Trey Jones. You can find him at treyjoneswriter.com. Additional editing and artwork, Astrid Burke. I look forward to next time when I hope to have something to say, but don't count on it.